Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean, your host. Today we are going to resume our series, A Message to the Last Generation, A Warning to the Ungodly. We're going to be reading from the apocryphal book of 2nd Esdras today, chapter 6, and probably half of chapter 7. And this is just one of those series that I think is, is very, very important and that I think uh, should, should and will probably continue for a while uh, because there's a lot that we can get through between the Bible, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Apocrypha, um, you know, just bet- between those three groups of manuscripts and scrolls, uh, there's just so much that describes really the time we're living in today. In fact, sometimes I'm just d- d- disturbed and shocked at the way the way the world has taken a turn for the worse uh, here in the year 2020. It's uh, at times it's it's just shocking and mind blowing. One of the things that, that you know that probably bothers me the most is not so much that evil people in positions of power would attempt to do evil. I expect that. What disturbs me probably even more than that is how easily the general population is deceived. How easily the wool can be pulled over their eyes. People really just eat up whatever's coming out of the black screen in their living room or the one they're holding in their hands and that's their truth and the reality and if the black screen says this is the way the world is and you should hate this group of people and be mad at this group of people and this and that and you're gonna die if you go outside and you know it's just all this nonsense and people eat it up Uh, like there's just this massive hive mind it's disturbing. And the book of Second Ezra says that in the last days, intelligence will flee, right? Like, people are just going to be stupid. And that is our reality. And I hate to say it so boldly or uh, strongly, you know. But that's... I, th- I just feel like that's the reality. I mean, the m- ma- mass majority of the population really does lack basic uh, intelligence. Basic ability to discern for themselves they're easily deceived easily offended as the scriptures say hating one another it is the world that is described to be in the last days and we cannot deny that we are seeing that right now well there it's my little rant to start this morning let's just look and see what the scriptures here have to say instead of what Sean has to say. We'll be looking at, again, 2nd Esther. I'm going to read chapter 6 and part of chapter 7. I pray in the powerful name of Jesus, in the powerful name of Yeshua, that you would be blessed this morning. Let's begin. And let's, re- let's remember that Esther has, has basically been fasting on and off and then getting revelation from a messenger of Yehovah from a messenger of God. All right, verse 1. And he said to me, At the beginning of the circle of the earth, before the portals of the world were in place, and before the assembled winds blew, and before the rumblings of thunder sounded, and before the flashes of lightning shone, 
and before the foundations of paradise were laid, and before the beautiful flowers were seen, and before the powers of movement were established, and before the innumerable host of angels were gathered together, and before the heights of the air were lifted up, and before the measures of the firmament were named, and before the footstool of Zion was established, and before the present years were reckoned, and before the imaginations of those who now sin were estranged, and before those who stored up treasures of faith were sealed. Then I planned these things. They were made through me and not through another, just as the end shall come through me and not through another. I think that's an important concept to understand that the end, the judgment on humanity, that's being brought forth by God. Okay? All these evil bankers and politicians and people who run are running the world into chaos and into the ground, they're not as in control as they think they are. And when God's ready, he's going to take care of business. And I answered and I said, what will be the dividing of the times? Or when will be the end of the first age and the beginning of the age that follows? And he said to me, from Abraham to Isaac... Because from him were born Jacob and Esau, for Jacob's hand held Esau's heel from the beginning. For Esau is the end of this age, and Jacob is the beginning of the age that follows. For the beginning of a man is a hand, and the end of a man is his heel. Between the heel and the hand seek for nothing else, Ezra. I answered and I said, O sovereign Lord, if I have found favor in thy sight... Show thy servant the end of thy signs which thou didst show me in part in a previous night. He answered and he said to me, Rise to your feet and you will hear a full resounding voice. And if the place where you are standing is greatly shaken, while the voice is speaking, do not be terrified, because the word concerns the end and the foundations of the earth will understand. The speech concerns them. They will tremble and be shaken, for they know that their end must be changed. This is an interesting thought that just came to mind. Ezra's being told, okay, you're going to be given some revelation about the end, and don't be, don't be afraid if the earth shakes a little bit underneath you, because it knows that these words are powerful and that they're speaking of its own end. And maybe that's why in the last days there'll be a ramping up, which we're already starting to, which we've already started to see over the last ten years or so, of earthquakes. Jesus talks about there'll be earthquakes in diverse places. Maybe what's causing that is the earth trembling at the knowledge that the wrath of God is on its way. Let's continue. And when I heard this, I rose to my feet. And listened, and behold, a voice was speaking, and it sounds like the sound of many waters. And it said, Behold, the days are coming, and it shall be that when I draw near to visit the inhabitants of the earth, and I, when I require from the doers of iniquity the penalty of their iniquity, and when the humiliation of Zion is complete, and when the seal is placed upon the age which is about to pass away, then I will show these signs. The book shall be opened before the firmament. And all shall see it together. Infants a year old shall speak with their voices. And women with child shall give birth to premature children at three or four months. And they shall live and dance. That verse there is one that I've talked about for years. 
To kind of make the point that I think there'll be genetic alteration of human beings, um, which, you know, maybe 10 years ago sounded kind of crazy, but doesn't sound crazy at all today. Because it talks about how infants a year old, I mean, they've been talking about designer babies and things like this for years, and they have the technology to alter the DNA. And so we should not be surprised if we see, see children speaking at a year old with their voices, and if women giving birth to premature children at three and four months, and yet those children live and dance. I also write about this in my End Times devotional. Um, I recommend that you check it out if you haven't already. Verse 22. Sown places shall suddenly appear unsown, and full storehouses shall suddenly be found to be empty. It's talking about shortage of food. Famine, right? Verse 23. And the trumpet shall sound aloud, and when all hear it, they shall suddenly be terrified. At that time, friends will make war on friends like enemies, and the earth and those who inhabit it shall be terrified, and the springs of the fountains shall stand still, so that for three hours they shall not flow. And it shall be that whatever remains after all that I have foretold to you shall himself be saved, and shall see my salvation and the end of my world. And they shall see the men who were taken up, who from their birth have not tasted death, and the heart of the earth's inhabitants shall be changed and converted to a different spirit. There's another interesting verse. Verse 26 there talks about men who were taken up that never died. And uh, as you guys know, I don't necessarily buy into the, the idea that there's a... Uh, rapture a gathering of people right before the tribulation and then there's a resurrection at the end of that um i don't really get into debating that because i'm just not sure i think it's all a great mystery that we will find out many of us were wrong about what that looks like but i must say this verse does seem to describe that and so we should at least consider it as a possibility it says, And they shall see the men who were taken up, who from their birth have not tasted death. And the heart of the earth's inhabitants shall be changed and converted to a different spirit. Verse 27, For evil shall be blotted out, and deceit shall be quenched. Faithfulness shall flourish, and the corruption shall be overcome, and the truth which was been so long without fruit shall be revealed. I don't know about you guys, but I long for that day. When all this evil is blotted out, when the deceit, I just talk, I opened the show by talking about how people are so deceived. I'm so sick of the deceit and the mind games that's being played on the populace. That's all going to come to an end. And in faithfulness and righteousness and all that and truth, which has been so long without fruit, uh, shall be revealed. Verse 29. While he spoke to me, behold, little by little, the place where I was standing began to rock to and fro. And, I, and he said to me, I have come to show you these things this night. If therefore you will pray again and fast again for seven days, I will again declare to you greater things than these. Because your voice has surely been heard before the Most High, for the Mighty One has seen your uprightness and has also observed the purity which you have maintained from your youth. Therefore he sent me to show you all these things, and to say to you, Believe, and do not be afraid. Do not be quick to think vain thoughts concerning the former times. 
lest you be hastily concerning the last times. Now after this I wept again and fasted seven days, as before, in order to complete the three weeks as I had been told. And on the eighth night my heart was troubled within me, and I began to speak in the presence of the Most High. For my spirit was greatly aroused, and my soul was in distress. I said, O Lord, Thou didst speak at the beginning of creation, and didst say on the first day, Let heaven and earth be made. And Thy word accomplished the work. And then the spirit was hovering in a darkness, and silence embraced everything. The sound of a man's voice was not yet there. Then thou didst command that a ray of light be brought forth from thy treasures, so that thy works might then appear. Again on the second day thou didst create the spirit of the firmament, and didst command him to divide and separate the waters, that one part might move upward and the other part remain beneath. On the third day thou didst command the waters to be gathered together in the seventh part of the earth. Six parts thou didst dry up and keep so that some of them might be planted and cultivated and be of service before thee. For thy word went forth, and at once the work was done. For immediately fruit came forth in endless abundance and a varied appeal to the taste and the flowers of inimitable color and the odors of expressible fragrance. These were made on the third day. And on the fourth day thou didst command the brightness of the sun and the light of the moon and the arrangement of the stars to come into being. And thou didst command them to serve man who was about to be formed. On the fifth day thou didst command the seventh part where the water had been gathered together to bring forth living creatures, birds, and fishes. And so it was done. The dumb and the lifeless water produced living creatures and it was commanded as it was commanded that therefore the nations might declare thy wondrous works. Then thou didst keep in existence two living creatures, the name of one thou didst call Behemoth, and the name of the other Leviathan. And thou didst separate one from another. For the seventh part where the water had been gathered together could not hold them both. You know, the Behemoth and... Well, I'm not going to spend any time talking about this, really, but the Behemoth and Leviathan, which is also in the Bible, it's like describing these giant creatures i just wonder you know we can speculate what they were but i just wonder what they actually are if they still exist in the water somewhere very interesting and thou didst give behemoth one of the parts which have been dried up on the third day to live in it where there are a thousand mountains but to the light to the leviathan thou didst give the seventh part the watery part and thou hast kept them to be eaten by whom thou wilt, and when thou wilt. <laughs> that's, just, that's just really interesting. On the sixth day thou didst command the earth to bring forth before thee cattle, beasts, and creeping things. And over these thou didst place Adam as a ruler over the works which thou hast made, and from him all have come, the people whom thou hast chosen. All this I have spoken before thee, O Lord, because thou hast said that it was for us that thou didst create this world. As for the other nations which have descended from Adam, thou hast said that they are nothing, that they are like spittle, and thou hast compared their abundance to a drop from a bucket. And now, O Lord, behold these nations which are reputed as nothing, domineer over us and devour us. But we thy people whom thou hast called thy firstborn only begotten, zealous for thee and most dear, have been given into their hands. 
If the world has been indeed created for us, why do we possess our world? Why don't we possess our world as the inheritance? How long will this be so? All right, Esther is asking a fair question that many of us might ask. He's saying, okay, God, you said you created all this for your people. And you're saying that the other people of the earth who hate you and hate your people, that they're nothing, that they're just a drop in a bucket. If that's true, then why, are every, why is everything reversed? That's, that's essentially what he's asking here. If that's true, then why is it that they possess the power over the entire earth? They devour your people and mistreat your people. So why, why is it backwards? Why aren't we the ones in possession of the world if we're the ones you love so much and that you created all this for us? And how long will this be taking place? Okay. Now, Esdras would have been during the time of Nehemiah. So he still would have been dealing with some of the Babylonian captivity at that time. Probably not quite moved back into the land of Israel. Okay, so he's really got this perspective. And uh, But if we fast forward to 2020, nothing's changed, right? We're scattered all over the earth is the only difference. God's people, being those who are in Messiah, are scattered all over the earth. And we're ruled, domineered, and devoured, and mistreated by the world. And so the question still remains, even for us today, that Esdras is asking right now. How long is this going to be so? And if the world has indeed been created for us, why do we not possess the world and the inheritance? Let's move on to chapter 7 here. And uh, we'll try to read about 70 verses of chapter chapter seven is really long, and so we're have to gonna gonna have to break that up. All right, let's look at chapter seven, verse one. When I had finished speaking these words, the angel who had been sent to me on the former nights was sent to me again, and he said to me, "Rise, Ezra, and listen to the words that I have come to speak to you." I said, "Speak, my lord." And he said to me, "There is a seat. There, I'm sorry. There is a sea set in a wide expanse." so that it is broad and vast. But it has an entrance set in a narrow place, so that it is like a river. If anyone then wishes to reach the sea to look at it or to navigate it, how can he come to the broad part unless he passes through the narrow part? Another example. There is a city built, on a set, built and set on a plain, and it is full of all good things. But the entrance to it is narrow and set in a precious place, so that there is fire on the right hand and deep waters on the left. If there is only one path lying between them, that is, between the fire and the water, so that only one man can walk upon the path. If now that city is given to a man for an inheritance, how will the heir receive his inheritance unless he passes through the danger set before him? I said, He cannot, Lord. He said to me, So also is Israel's portion. All right. So there's kind of God's answer to that question he's saying imagine that there's a big beautiful body of water but to get to it is a narrow river right a narrow path this should sound familiar to christian minds the narrow path 
He's saying, or imagine there's this great city set on a plane, but to get to it, there's this like narrow path and there's dangers on the right and dangers on the left. But to get to the inheritance, you kind of have to travel through this narrow area and deal with the struggles and the, and the pressures and the problems and overcome those. And then you can enter into this paradise. You see, this world is to prepare us to be the people that we that we need to be when we finally get to the end of the road, right? It's made, it's intentionally set up that we would need to persevere, that we would need to persevere through faith, that we would have to believe and finish the race. It's not just going to be an easy walk. That's not the way God designed it. And so in this world, we do have troubles, like Jesus said. Jesus said to those who overcome, you know, they will receive the inheritance. He said to those who persevere to the end will be saved. Paul talks about it like a race. You need to run it as, as though you're trying to win it. You actually have to finish this event we call life. And then he goes here in Second Esther, he describes it a little bit more. Verse 11. For I made the world for their sake. And when Adam transgressed my statutes, what had been made was judged. And so the entrances of this world were made narrow and sorrowful and toilsome. They are few and evil, full of dangers and involved in great hardship. So he's saying, look, when Adam sinned, the world was judged. Creation was judged. And as a result of that, now the path has been made narrow and sorrowful. And you have to go down that narrow path, like it or not. Verse 13. But the entrances of the greater world are broad and safe, and really yield the fruit of immortality. Therefore, unless the living pass through the difficult and vain experiences, they can never receive those things which have been reserved for them. So that is God's answer to all this. you got to get through these troubles you gotta you gotta get through the narrow and sorrowful and toilsome path and if you do it says therefore unless the living pass through the difficult and vain experiences they can never receive those that have been reserved for them not only that imagine which how much you're going to appreciate what god has for you sorry for that alarm sound imagine what you're how much you're going to appreciate what god has for you after you've had to kind of suffer through this world, right? Let's continue on. But now, why are you disturbed seeing that you are to perish? And why are you moved seeing that you are mortal? And why have you not considered in your own mind what is to come rather than what is now present? That might be a word for us today. Why are, we, why are you so concerned with what is right now? rather than what I've promised is coming, right? Verse 17, Then I answered and I said, O sovereign Lord, because, behold, thou hast ordained in thy law that the righteous shall inherit these things, but that the ungodly shall perish. The righteous, therefore, can endure difficult circumstances while hoping for easier ones, but those who have done wickedly have suffered the difficult circumstances and will not see the easier ones. And he said to me, you are, not better, you are not a better judge than God or wiser than the Most High. See, Ezra is even concerned about the wicked. He's saying, okay, 
The righteous go through difficult times on this earth, but the day is coming when we're gonna we're gonna see easier, an easier life, and you know, in eternity. But the wicked, they still suffer the troubles of this world, and then, you know, suffer the troubles of judgment, which is true. And I've considered this in my own heart. Like, man, some people have a terrible life on earth, never come to the knowledge of Messiah, and then go to eternal damnation. Just like their whole existence is evil, and it's hard to it's hard to wrap my mind around that. But God tells Ezra, "You are not a better judge than God, or wiser than the Most High." Verse twenty: Let many perish who are now living, rather than the than that the law of God, which is set before them, be disregarded. For God strictly commanded those who came into the world, and when they came, what they should do to live and what they should observe to avoid punishment. Nevertheless, they were not obedient and spoke against him. They devised for themselves vain thoughts, and they proposed to themselves wicked frauds. They even declared that the Most High does not exist, and they ignored his ways. They scorned his law and denied his covenants. They have been unfaithful to his statutes and have not performed his works. Therefore, Ezra, Empty things are for the empty, and full things are for the full. For behold, the time will come when the signs which I have foretold to you will come to pass, that the city which is now is not seen shall appear, and the land which is now hidden shall be disclosed. And every one who, who has been delivered from the evils that I have foretold shall see my wonders. For the, my son the Messiah shall be revealed with those who are with him, and those who remain shall rejoice four hundred years. After these years, my son the Messiah shall die, and all who draw human breath, and the world shall be turned back to primeval, primal, primeval silence for seven days, as it was the first beginning, so that no one shall be left. Now, admittedly, these are strange verses that I do not understand. The only thing I can think of is that it's talking about kind of like uh, the book of Daniel. It talks about how the anointed one will be cut off. Um... Ezra is talking, uh, being told that the, there's coming a time when his, when God's son, the Messiah, will appear, and then he shall be, then he shall die. Um, which, okay, we can connect that with the death and resurrection, right? Uh, but then it also says, and all who draw human breath. So that kind of doesn't make sense. So this is very confusing verses, um, very, tr very problematic verses, I would say. Um, and it's verses like this that either A, we just don't, or I personally just don't understand, or um, it's things like this is why this is apocryphal and not part of the canon. It's, it's hard to say. Um, there's probably some who've reasoned this out somehow. Let's continue on. After seven days, the world which is not yet awake shall be roused, and that which is corruptible shall perish. And the earth shall give up those who are asleep in it, and the dust who dwell silently in it. And the chambers shall give up the souls which have been committed to them. And the Most High shall be revealed upon the seat of judgment, and compassion shall pass away, and patience shall be withdrawn. But only judgment shall remain. Truth shall stand, and faithfulness shall grow strong. Now this is just truth. The day's coming when God's mercy, basically, is going to run out, and the only thing left is judgment. And that's what it's saying here. 
the Most High will be revealed upon the seat of judgment, and compassion shall pass away, and patience shall be withdrawn, but only judgment shall remain. Truth shall stand, and faithfulness shall grow strong, and recompense shall follow, and the reward shall be manifested. Righteous deeds shall awake, and the unrighteous deeds shall not sleep. Then the pit of torment shall appear, and opposite it shall be the place of rest, and the furnace of hell shall be disclosed, and opposite it the paradise of delight. Then the Most High will say to the nations that have been raised from the dead, Look now and understand whom you have denied, whom you have not served, whose commandments you have despised. This is the day of judgment, right? Separation of the sheep and goats. There's heaven on one side, hell on the other, and judgment has now arrived. Verse 38, look on the side, and on that, here are delights and rest, and there are fire and torments. Thus he will speak to them on the day of judgment, a day that has no sun or moon or stars or cloud or thunder or lightning or wind or water or air or darkness or evening or morning or summer or spring or heat or winter or frost or cold or hail or rain or dew or noon or night or dawn or shining or brightness or light, but only the splendor of the glory of the Most High by which all shall see what has been determined for them. For it will last for about a week of years. This is my judgment, and it is prescribed order. And to you alone have I shown these things. I answered and I said, O Sovereign Lord, I said then, and I say now, Blessed are those who are alive and keep thy commandments. But what of those whom I have prayed? For who among the living there is that has not sinned, or who among the men that has not transgressed thy covenant? And now I see the world to come will bring, will bring delight to few, but torments to many. So again, Esther is concerned about humanity as a whole. He's pointing out, look, based on what you're saying, the, the delight in the paradise is for a very small number of people. Very few are going to find themselves in that. A majority of people are going to go into the torment. And he's having trouble reconciling that truth and that reality. Here's, the, here's another thing that we need to remember. Is few do find this. The narrow, Jesus talks about this. The narrow path and few there are that find it. Even most Christians, I'm afraid. Even when I look in the mirror myself, I tremble. I mean, that is what Paul said to do, Right? to examine yourself daily to make sure you're actually in the faith it's very serious very few people are actually in a relationship with God most people want the free salvation that comes through a relationship with Christ but they don't want the transformation right they just want to say intellectually yes Jesus exists and he paid the price for sins I'm saved I've got the fire insurance but they don't want the transformation part which is also required because when you're in a relationship, an actual relationship with Jesus, you're going to be a different person. The scriptures say that old things will pass away and everything will become new. You won't be the person that you used to be. How many people are walking around calling themselves Christians? They've done the intellectual thing, but the heart is the same. 
There's been no transformation in their life. Getting back to what Ezra is saying, he's concerned. Basically, in a nutshell, he's saying, I'm troubled because very few people are going into paradise and most of the world in the history of humanity is going into hell. Which is what the scriptures tell us, right? He says, Now I see the world to come will bring delight to few but torments to many. For an evil heart has grown up in us, which has alienated us from God and has brought us into corruption and in the ways of death and has shown us the paths of perdition and removed us far from life. And that not just a few of us, but almost all who have been created. He answered me and said, Listen to me, Ezra, and I will instruct you and I will admonish you yet again. For this reason the Most High has made not one world but two. For whereas you have said that the righteous are not many but few while the ungodly abound hear the explanation for this all right god is about to describe why it is this way he's not denying that it is this way it is this way the righteous are few the ungodly abound here's why this is here's why god has set it up this way verse 52 if you have just a few precious stones Will you add to them lead and clay? So he's saying, look, if you have a... If, imagine that you found a couple of diamonds, big, beautiful diamonds, and you put them in a, know, a container of some type. Would you then just, like, mix with them dirt and clay and a collection of gravel from your driveway? Like, that wouldn't make much sense, would it? No, Why? Because the diamonds are precious and rare and very hard to find, right? They, they're so rare and therefore they're so valuable. They're not like the gravel that you have endless supply of, right? This is what he's getting at. Verse 52, let's start over. If you have just a few precious stones, will you add to them lead and clay? I said, Lord, how could that be? He said to me, not only that, but ask the earth if she will tell you, defer to her and she will declare it to you. Say to her, you produce gold and silver and brass, and also iron and lead and clay. But silver is more abundant than gold, and brass than silver, and iron than brass, and lead than iron, and clay than lead. Judge therefore which things are precious and desirable, those that are abundant or those that are rare. And I said, O sovereign Lord, what is plentiful is of less worth, for, it is more, for what is more rare is more precious." He answered me and he said, Weigh within yourself what you have thought. For he who has what is hard to get rejoices more than he who has what is plentiful. So also will be the judgment which I have promised. For I will rejoice over the few who shall be saved, because it is they who have made my glory to prevail now. And through them my name has now been honored. And I will not grieve over the multitude of those who perish, for it is they who are now like a mist and are similar to a flame and smoke. They are set on fire and burned haughtily and are extinguished. And I replied and said, O oh earth, what have you brought forth? If the mind is made out of the dust like the others created things. For it would have been better if the dust itself had not been born so that the mind might not have been made from it. But now the mind groans with us, grows with us, and therefore we are tormented because we perish and know it. Let the human race lament, 
but let the beasts of the field be glad. Let all those who have been born lament, but let the four-footed beast and the flocks rejoice. For it is much easier with them than with us, for they do not look for a judgment, nor do they know of any torment or salvation promised to them after death. For what does it profit at us if we shall be preserved alive but cruelly tormented? For all who have been born and involved in iniquities are full of sins and burdened with transgressions. And if we were not to come into judgment after death, perhaps it would have been better for us. <laughs> so Esdras, you have to you have to like this guy. I mean, he's just saying what we've all thought in our minds, right? He's like, well, you know what? If that's true, if that's the way it is, it would have been better off if we hadn't have been born because we're all born into sin. So the human race should just lament. I have to admit, I, I've felt this way. I understand what he's getting at. Verse 70, and he answered me and said, When the Most High made the world and Adam and all who have come from him, he first prepared the judgment and the things that pertain to the judgment. And now understand from your own words, for you have said that the mind grows with us. For this reason, therefore, those who dwell in the earth shall be tormented, because through, though they had understanding, they committed iniquity. And though they received the commandments, they did not keep them. And though they obtained the law, they dealt unfaithfully with what they have received. What, then, will they have to say in the judgment? Or how will they answer in the last times? For how long the time is that the Most High has been patient with those who inhabit the world, and not for their sakes, but because of the times which has been foreordained. We're going to stop there because we're out of time. God's saying, look, they're not without... Uh, this is, it's not like they don't deserve this. They've been instructed, right? They've been told the truth. They have minds. They, the people intentionally decide, even though they know, they intentionally decide to live the way they want to live and ignore the commandments and the guidance of God. So they've willfully made these decisions. This is hard. This is hard stuff. We need to look within our own hearts, though. Don't be thinking about Bob down the street who needs to obey God's commandments, needs to walk in a closer relationship with the Lord. Look at your own self. Look in the mirror. Examine yourself every day and say, "Am I? where am I at? Again, what, what Esdras doesn't know is that Messiah is going to come and pay the penalty, right? Because he's tormented over the, this fact that everyone, he's admitting and acknowledging, which we all should do, that everyone is filled with sin and wickedness. And he's like, so we're all just kind of out of luck. Messiah did come and did pay the price. And faith in him is how we inherit salvation, right? But I'll say what I say almost every podcast. Your actions will show what you really believe about that. Your actions, like your your ability to walk out the law and, and whatnot, that can't save you, right? Your works are filthy rags before God, the scriptures say. But, here's how we know that we love God, we obey Him. Plain and simple. I hope this is making sense. This has been a longer podcast this morning. I'm out of time. I hope you've been blessed this morning and challenged this morning. 
this is hard stuff to swallow. And this is why I like this book is because I feel like Ezra is asking the questions that I myself at times want to ask. And God gives him answers. Maybe, maybe not even the answers we want, but the truth. All right, I've got to get off here. Peace and grace be with all of you. Please consider supporting this work, buying the devotional, uh, using PayPal, or becoming a Patreon. That's how this podcast happens every month. And uh, we've been doing four, sometimes five episodes a week. It's a lot of work, uh, and I can't do it without your support. And I appreciate all of you. Please pray for me also. I need, uh, I need God's grace and mercy just like everybody else. I need God's help to stay on the narrow path and to be guided to the land of uprightness just like everyone else. All right. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.